Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Everybody's doing well. I've been away from the podcast for a few days. Um, had a had a busy weekend, and then yesterday was under the weather. Uh, so I apologize for anybody that's looking for content here. I've been a little MIA, but I'll be back. Um, not feeling a hundred percent today, but getting back on the right track. So there's too much sports to talk about that. I, you know, I had to get back on here and start talking about it. And you know. We, Throughout the weekend, we learned about our the Stanley Cup semifinals between Vegas, Montreal. I understand, but we've seen Game One of both those series. The NBA playoffs have started to really get interesting with a lot of ser- uh, three series being at two-two, and the Suns sweeping, already advancing to the conference finals. So we'll dive into that. We got uh, the French Open, which was just fantastic over the weekend. Uh, Friday after work, getting home and watching the last two and a half sets of Rafa Nadal versus Novak Djokovic. Then Sunday morning, watching the incredible action between Sissipas and Novak. I'll dive into that. USC pay-per-view over the weekend. Um, you know, say what you want about the sport, but it brings entertainment. And Nate Diaz lost his fight against Leon Edwards, but he he brings it. And he, he's a guy that just, he fights to the bitter end. He's bloody as hell. And he's beaten, beaten to the ground, but the guy just, he brings entertainment value. And... And we've seen a title, uh, title change hands, a new champion of Brandon Moreno, a lot happening there. Gerard Gallant, uh, the you know Turk Gallant getting hired, the PEI native, has a new head coach in the New York Rangers. So that's an interesting. Well, I'll dive into that decision. A lot to get into today, but off the top, I'm starting with something. I'm very happy. Yesterday I was you know kind of sleeping a lot of the day, and I wake up and see. The CFL, the Canadian Football League, is returning on August 5th. I think this is fantastic news. I, I'm a big CFL fan. I, it's not for everybody, and I get that. There's probably people that haven't watched the CFL game in years. For me, it's a sport that just symbolizes Canada. It, it, it's, Canadian, it's a Canadian Football League. It's been around for over 100 years, and the Grey Cup is something that I hold dear. And Obviously, we missed it last year because of the COVID pandemic. And then it looked like the league may shut down because we couldn't get asses in the seats, which is still alarming to me because it's outdoor stadiums. And But nevertheless, I'm not a government official and I won't go on my COVID rant today. But it's returning. August 5th, we're going to kick off a 14-game schedule that will finish on December 12th with the Grey Cup in Hamilton, which is a a great, a great location for it, one of the great cities of the Canadian Football League. And I'm just happy the league's going to be back. You know, obviously, I'm, uh, it's, u- it's usually starting in about a week's time. It'll obviously be a month and change later, August 5th, but training camps are slated open July 10th. And with, uh, with an August start, that's great for me. You know, there's no hockey. There's no uh, basketball. Obviously, there'll be uh, free agency around that period. But it's a, it's a live sport. Obviously, you're going to have uh, baseball in there. You're going to have, uh, obviously, the Canadian Football League now. Uh, tennis is in full swing with the Rogers Cup and then the U.S. Open later in that month. But it's great to have it back. And, you know, to see Bo Levi Mitchell and Trevor Harris and all, you know, the great quarterbacks of this league get back on the field, throw to superstars like Eli Rogers. I mean, it's just I'm happy, you know, seeing guys get another chance to play. A lot of these guys probably thought maybe their career was over. You know, Charleston Hughes, one of the great pass rushers in the history of Canadian Football League, was saying, my career might be over. I'm 36 years old. He's getting another opportunity to play. And, you know, big picture, these guys are getting a salary. They're getting a paycheck. This is what they, you know, some of the most guys have dual jobs when they play in the Canadian Football League. But it's just good to see them back have them back in the league to have it back on the mainstream and you know you can tell you know a guy like glenn Suter who calls games for tsn he call uh, he usually did games with chris cuthbert who unfortunately left for sportsnet and he does a good job calling games in the nhl it'd be weird to see him uh not calling cfl games uh this summer but he's a guy who just has such a passion for the sport he played in the league i, I think he's one of the great color guys in in at TSN, period, any sport. He is such a passion. Rod Smith, the guys on the desk, they love the Canadian Football League. And 
hopefully, you know, it's going to be August 5th. That's the first game, first games of the season. We should be able to have really good crowds. Again, it's outdoor stadiums. And I don't care where the stadium is. Again, it's going to be based on provincial guidelines and everything like that. But you'd think, common sense, that we'd be able to have at least – I'm going to be conservative here. I would go higher, but I'll just think of a politician here. 50% capacity. I mean, come on. We've been vaccinating people for a while now. And yeah, we've been behind the eight ball because we have an incompetent leader uh, as our prime minister. But it we're getting closer. We're getting, you know, in New Brunswick, we're almost at 75% vaccination rate, which, you know, if you need to be vaccinated to go to a sporting event, then make that a make if that's the criteria then make that the criteria i don't think it should be but again that's beyond my pay grade but in places like saskatchewan and outdoor stadiums like alberta the, the capacity should be high we're seeing fans at the munch did you watch the vegas game last night and again that's vegas and people could say well they shouldn't be that full well it is because life in the antithesis, in the antithesis of life, life goes on, and that's basically what I'm saying here. CFL was paused for a year and a half because of COVID, but guess what? The CFL wins because life goes on. COVID's still going to exist. HIV still exists. Cancer exists, but we move on. We you have to, or you're sitting in quicksand for the rest of your life. But I'm just happy to see. The league, I love the league. I'm, you know, I really, I started loving the league watching it with my grandfather. Uh, he was a big Hamilton Tiger Cat fan. And, um, you know, the guy had to root for the New England Patriots because he needed a team to win because he was a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. Uh, but the Tiger Cats would always, you know, they, in, in his last, you know, 10 years of, of his life, they got to two great cups and uh, t- uh, two conference championship games but could never pull it off. Maybe coming back, this is the Tiger Cats year. But it, you know, great cities like Hamilton that love the CFL, Saskatchewan, BC, they really love their football. Even the Edmonton Elks, formerly the Eskimos, they love their football out there. It's not a joke league to, to these fans. And it isn't to me either. It's three downs. It's different. It's not for everybody. It's a niche sport. Um, but with the Olympics, with, with everything happening with golf in full swing, I love having another sport to, to flip to. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to watch the games and get that season going. So just excited for the league to be back. Good for Randy and Brosy. Canadian governments just don't screw it up when it comes to fan attendance. Get as many people as you can in there, of course, safely. Uh, but, you know, let's, let's progress here. Let's. We're told if we get vaccinated and we do all this, that we're going to have different restrictions or we're going to, you know, restrictions are going to be loosened. We'll be more free. Well, show us, you know, we are. So if there's a live sporting event in our country, we should be able to go again. The Toronto blue Jays should be playing at home right now, in my opinion, and teams have to fly in and both teams have to quarantine, whatever, not, not quarantine, but just go to the arena go to the hotel, you can't do anything else, so be it. Montreal's playing Vegas Friday night in Montreal. And guess where both teams are right now? The United States. They're flying over into Canada. What's the difference? The Yankee uh, Blue Jays play Baltimore at home on Friday. Why aren't the Blue Jays playing at Rogers Center? And it's extending to the end of July that they're going to be playing in Buffalo and not Toronto. It just, again... I'm not a government official. I don't want to be a government official. However, I think some of this stuff is just common sense. And, you know, again, common sense would be great if if it was a little bit more common. But anyway, I'll move on from that. I don't, COVID riles me up, as you know, if you've listened to this podcast before. But we'll we'll move on from that and hopefully for bigger and better things uh, down the pike here uh, when it comes to to sports and um, live sporting events in Canada best country in the world at least sometimes i think so um the nhl 
you know, we got our semi, we got our conference championship set up. Islanders, Lightning, Vegas, Montreal. And the two are really interesting because you got Islanders, Tampa, a rematch of last year's conference final. And then you got Vegas, who was also in the conference final last year, losing to Dallas, playing the Habs, who nobody saw getting here. Uh, you know, being down 3-1 to Toronto, then sweeping the Winnipeg Jets. They are truly, in the March Madness terms, they are the Cinderella team. You know, they are the Florida Gulf Coast, if you will, even though I think they're a lot better than people give them credit for. Uh, and looking at these matchups, obviously Vegas comes in a heavy favorite. In the other series, I'd say Tampa's a slight favorite, but the Islanders, they're no slouch. They're a team that people, you know, I, to be completely transparent here i had the islanders missing the playoffs before the season and they almost did they finished fourth in their conference you know fourth four teams make the playoffs in the conference they finished fourth but it doesn't matter once you get to the dance it's like the la kings they finished eighth in 2012 then went on to win the stanley cup once you're in it doesn't matter where you finished austin matthews Connor mcdavid um leon dreisaitl marner mckinnon all these guys had Crazy amount of points, nominated for the Hart Trophy. Great seasons. They're golfing. It does not matter what you do in the regular until you get to this point. And I'll start by talking about last night's game, then I'll pivot back into the Islanders Tampa. That was Sunday afternoon and preview game two tonight. But last night, Vegas at Montreal. First of all, I listened to the sound for the first 10 minutes because I wanted to hear what that building was like. And I'm trying to find this ability to just listen to the crowd noise without listening to the announcers. Cause even though last night was pretty, I like Chris Cuthbert a lot. Craig Simpson kind of gets on my nerves, but he's not calling a Leafs game. So it's not so Homerish, um, if you will. Um, but what an atmosphere in there. Just crazy. I, I love it. You know, I, it makes me want to go to a game, you know, especially in Vegas or, uh, you know, Nashville isn't my bucket list item to get to not only the city, but go to an NHL game at Bridgestone. Um, but great atmosphere. And the first period, you know, I give a heavy edge to the Montreal Canadiens. I thought they came out flying. That first period, you really saw a great period from, you know, one of my favorites, Josh Anderson, the unicorn, where he brought the physical presence. He drove the puck to the net twice. But the first period, you got to give a ton of credit to Marc-Andre Fleury. He made some critical, critical saves. I mentioned the one on Josh Anderson where he stuck out his right toe when he was breaking in. He also made a huge save on Brennan Gallagher right on the doorstep. And to his, his, def- his defenseman also really helped him. You know, uh, they, they boxed out well because his rebound control was not great the whole night, but especially in that first period where the Deno, Lekin, and Gallagher line was really getting pucks to the net. They were in the crease area, getting in his, getting in his face. And they were Montreal's best line all night. Um, but it's the thing you got Montreal that, you know, they, they, they bring the pressure, they bring the pressure, but it didn't matter because who strikes first with the Vegas golden Knights, Ben Sherratt, who, you know, is another one of my guys made a stupid decision. He had more time than he thought he's in his own zone, fires the puck down the ice. Cause they're, they're tired, but they're tired after a long shift, but he had time and they iced the puck off the draw. Chandler Stevenson, uh, you know, hops on with Mark Stone and Pacioretty. Stevenson wins the draw, right to Braden McNabb. McNabb pushes past the puck to Shea Theodore, and he takes a slap shot right off the tee, doesn't stop the puck, and it beats Carey Price. Eric Gutzelson was in his face, couldn't really see the puck, but it's one nothing just like that. And that was a key, a key element of this game, defenseman scoring for Vegas. They win the game 4-1, three goals are scored by defensemen and they get, they got points by defensemen on every goal that they scored. And that, that's something that is so impressive to me, what Vegas can do with their points. I mean, you got Theodore Petrangelo Martinez, who's just a clutch. Another, he scored a game winning goal to win the Stanley cup. He scored the game winning goal in double overtime to beat the Chicago Blackhawks in 2014 to go on and win a Stanley cup. This guy plays in the big moments. He scores in the big moments. And, you know, it continued throughout the game. After the first period, the second period was just a penalty-filled affair where Vegas had three power plays. Montreal had two in the first 10 minutes. Just, you know, crazy up and down. 
But after a five on three, you know, Montreal kills off a five on three, but they're stuck on the ice long shift. And the puck comes out to Shea Theodore. He's right in the middle of the slot. He's getting ready to fire one on Carey Price. But he, he one pumps the puck. He fakes it, fakes the slapper, holds on to the puck, throws the puck uh, to his right, sitting on the hash is Alec Martinez. Carey Price dives across trying to get there, but can't. Makes it 2 nothing Vegas. And, you know, two again, two goals, both by defensemen. On the power play, uh, about 10 minutes later, Cole Caulfield scored for Montreal. It's his first career playoff goal. Pretty cool scene. His parents are in the building. Uh, his mother, you know, crying. I, it's good to see him and, you know, who assisted on the goal were Corey Perry and Tyler Toffoli. You know, Corey Perry with points in five straight, Tyler Toffoli with a seven-game point streak. So after a slow start to the playoffs, he's, you know, more than made up for it And after his great regular season. Um. But you know, less you know, less than a minute later, and it's three one. Matthias Yanmark gets a gets his stick on an Alex Tuck shot, gets past Carey Price. That makes it three one, and that was just that symbolized something to me. Montreal had some momentum, they scored in the power play. It's a one goal game, but that's all they could do. That was curtains really for them because in the third period, Nick Holden scored a second of the playoffs to make it four one. That was it. So you look at it. One, two, three, four, five, six points by defensemen on four goals last night to the Vegas Golden Knights. They win a game 4-1 where they did not get a point from Mark Stone. They did not get a point from Max Pacioretty. Their two best forwards, arguably, did not register a point. Alex Tuck had, had one. He, I thought he played great last night. But this is how they can score in waves. They lead the playoffs in points by defensemen. And... And they also got great goaltending. Marc-Andre Fleury made 28 of 29 saves. Uh, Shea Theodore, again, he, he only played 21 minutes last night. But he, this guy, is he's going to be on Team Canada anchoring their team to hopefully a gold medal in February. Alex Petrangelo is going to be on that team as well. This, this team is just loaded on the back end because you have one of the great goaltenders in the history of the league, and Marc-Andre Fleury, and then you have a defense in front of him I mean, you can look at Theodore, Petrangelo, Martinez, but a guy who's just an unsung hero and another guy I love, he's similar to Ben Schrott, is Braden McNabb. Is he going to do anything flashy? Nope. But he's mean. He's going to hit you. He, he turns pucks over. He's going to protect his goaltender. He's got a big shot when you let him shoot the puck. He, gets, he got an assist on Shea Theodore's goal last night, and he's just sound defensively. He's like a Sherratt. He's like uh, Jake Muzzin in Toronto. But he, he's been with Vegas since the expansion draft. He's an OG, if you will, and he's been great for them. He, he's just he's a they're a better team when he's in the lineup. He was out with COVID in that uh, sec in the end of the first round. That hurt them a lot. They miss him, and you know they got I got Zach Whiteclouds, another defenseman who's taken a big step. He was one of the original draft picks of this franchise. He looks really good. So you know, this team is is solid. For Montreal, first period, they deserve better fate. They could have scored a few extra goals. There were some rebounds there that could have been had. Uh, they played really, really well uh, in that first period. They were by far the better team. But for them, what's going to be key in this series is winning the special teams battle. They need to score in the power play. And they, they need to stay out of the box, too, because Vegas has a good power play. We saw them score on it last night. and um, But for Montreal... You got a power play goal last night. You might need more than one in the game. You need to you need to score when you have opportunities. And a guy I'm going to say you got to step up is Josh Anderson. I, I love the guy, but he hasn't scored since game one against Toronto. And that, you know he was a dominant figure in that game. I thought he played pretty well last night. But again, it's brass tacks. It's not about did you play well. It's about putting the puck in the back of the net. And he hasn't done that since game one against Toronto. That was 12 games ago. It's just not good enough. And, you know, one goal in his last 12 games, as one of the lethal players on this team, they need production. You know, Kerry, uh, Corey Perry, Yol Armia, yeah, these guys are, have been fantastic, Eric Stahl. But they're, they're the fourth line. They can't do it every night. Again, Philip Dunno is a checking line center. 
his job was going to be to shut down Mark Stone, Pacioretty, Chandler Stevenson. And to his credit, he did do that last night. None of them got a point. So you could say that was a wash for Philip Deneau. He's not going to score many goals. And playing with Gallagher and Lekkonen, not to say that they aren't dangerous offensively, but again, their role is to shut down the opposing team. So lines like Cockney, Anderson, and uh, you know, that line needs to score. They need to put pucks in the net. Also in their back end, Shea Weber, could you, could you hit the net? I think he's played really well in this playoffs, but when it comes to having the puck at the point, the guy cannot hit the net. He misses by 10 feet. Hit the net, man. Um, missing Jeff Petrie hurts because he's their most mobile defenseman and he's the most creative offensively. Gutsupson doesn't have the confidence to, to do anything offensively when it's not in the power play because he's afraid to make a mistake. Uh, and, you know, I don't think Dominic Ducharme and, and the crew really trust him all that much. I do, I do like to see Roman off in the lineup. I thought he played well uh, last night. Great hit on Alec Petrangelo in the first period. He brings some bite at the end of the game, kind of sending a message for game two. But um, he looked, for a young guy who's hardly played in the playoffs, he looked he looked confident and not, af- not afraid of the big moment. That's for sure. But for Vegas, you're happy you win game one. For Montreal, in special teams battle, and it's guys like Anderson, Kokniemi. You you got a matchup that's not against Stone and them. You need to produce. And help from the back end wouldn't hurt either. And last night, Carey Price lets in four goals. The Martinez goal, no chance. Shea Theodore, I don't really give much of a chance either. And the Yan Marcos is a tough break. Um, you know, but you know, I'll play Mark Andre Fleury in game two. And that, you know, that could always happen. Go out there and be the better goaltender and, you know, show something there. But um, we'll, we'll see. Game two goes tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. I have Vegas winning this series in six games. Um, I also have uh, Tampa, uh, Tampa winning in six games. I have both series going six. Uh, obviously, the Islanders have a one nothing series lead there. But, yeah, I... I don't think this is going to be a cakewalk. I think we saw last night Montreal's got some fight. They're going to bring it in this series. And I think Vegas is the superior team, but Toronto has been the superior team over Montreal. Um, Winnipeg is, was the superior team over Montreal. In my opinion, I was a big, you know, Winnipeg supporter throughout the year and Montreal beat both those teams. I just think Vegas is a little Vegas is better than Toronto and Winnipeg. Uh, I said all year that the, the North division was weak and if Montreal, Montreal losing to Vegas, it doesn't really prove that it just proves that Vegas is a really dominant team. One of the best in the NHL and maybe they should win the Stanley cup. I mean, they beat Colorado, who I think was the best team on paper. So we'll see what happens, but Vegas takes game one after strong uh, performance from the back end. And Another thing for Montreal, you see McNabb, you see Petrangelo. These guys are hard to get by. You might have to chip and chase. When you're, you see a bunch of times last night, guys trying to get past McNabb, he breaks up. He's got a long stick and they turn the puck over. And it's, you know, odd man rush the other way, creates a scoring opportunity. You might have to chip and chase and go work in the corners a little bit more because they have big defensemen that can break up plays before you even get traction in the zone and it's trouble the other way. So something to look into for Montreal, it's just, you might have to work in those corners and win those battles against Vegas because you're not going to get by them. They have big horses on the back end that are tough to get by. They're big, they're agile, and that's going to be difficult for you throughout an entire series to to try to win that way. So just something to keep your eye on uh, as the series progresses. In the other conference championship semifinal, it was the New York Islanders defeating the Tampa Bay Lightning 2-1 Sunday afternoon. And really, you know, typical New York Islanders fashion, just a dominant defensive performance. And it, it was like game six against Boston. In that third period, they gave Boston nothing. They played offensive as much as they could, but they didn't give Boston anything to work with. And Tampa, they didn't have any ice. Tampa's most dangerous, you know, player over the first two, 
two and half periods, two and periods and change was David Savard. I thought he played his best game as a Tampa Bay Lightning since being acquired. He played really well. It was aggressive, physical. You noticed him right away, but that's not a good thing. You know, they have guys like Steven Stamkos. They have Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point. You know, the list goes on. They weren't that noticeable. You know, Braden Point scores a goal with under a minute left to make it 2-1, but it was a little, it was too late then. You know, they weren't going to give up another goal. And, um, you know, did Andre Vasilevsky let in a bad goal? Yeah, he did. You know, midway through the third period, Ryan Pollock gets a shot, gets goes right through his body. It, as a goaltender, just if you know the game a little bit, if a puck goes through you as a goaltender, it's never a good goal. And there was no screen. It was just a really ugly goal. Again, that's a mulligan for Vasilevsky. The guy's arguably the best goaltender in the NHL. Um, he's the defending Stanley Cup champion in net. So you, you'll let that one live. You expect him to come back and make better saves tonight. But for Tampa, you know, you're playing a team that had a template for you. You know, they, they played you last year. They lost. We saw Tampa play the Columbus Blue Jackets. They got swept after winning 63 games in the regular season. And the next year they come back and they beat the Columbus Blue Jackets. The worry for John Cooper has to be, you know, we, we figured out Columbus's MO, how they're going to beat us. Did the Islanders figure out something about us? And, you know, Barry Trotz is the, one of the smartest minds in the history of the NHL. And something the Islanders have this year that they don't have, that they didn't have as much last season was complimentary scoring. Um, Matt Barzell has been a superstar over the past series and a half against Boston games three through six. Unbelievable scores a huge goal in game one to open the scoring. He's playing at an MVP type level right in that con Smythe trophy discussion. If the Islanders were to win the Stanley cup, I mean, that's, you know, that's uh, seven wins away, but nevertheless, he's in that discussion. Um, but you got Kyle Paul Mary this year. He's got seven goals in the playoffs, one behind Braden Point for the lead in the whole in the whole NHL. You got Brock Nelson. You you have um, Ryan Pollock adding scoring. Um, John Gabriel Pajo has thirteen points. Uh, they're just finding offense, and the fourth line is not going to produce much. Sezikis has scored a playoff winner in this. In, in the playoffs so far, Clutterbuck had a goal here now and then, but you got a defensive system, but if you have to score a big goal, you have guys that can do it. Brock Nelson, clutch goal scorer, Matt Barzell, Anthony Bavillier is a year older. These guys aren't the young pups that they were, and they can score goals now. They, they play, they still play that system that Barry Trotz wants them to, but we see that it works. Barzell gets an opportunity to partial breakaway. He be, beats Vasilevsky five-hole. Now, Tampa will want to play their style. They don't want to play the Islanders, and they have more high-power offense than the New York Islanders. No, you know, no fight there. When you got a guy like Stamkos who can score a goal from anywhere, you have Kucherov and Point, and you know Victor Hedman and Sergachev on the back end. There's opportunities to score anytime you get on the ice. But the Islanders, there's just something about them. You know, they, they just never quit. They take away ice. They take away what you want to do. And tonight's a huge game for the Tampa Bay. You go down 0-2 going back to New York at Nassau. That The crowd there and the way it's been in this playoffs, I mean, it, being 1-1, it's going to be loud. It's going to be hostile. But I have the Lightning winning this series in six. I, it's almost a must-win tonight because – you go back there for two, it's going to be really, really hard to win. And, you know, even if you do lose tonight, they come back and win. It's going six or seven. That's a long series. That's going to be really grueling on your body. If Tampa even wants to win that series say in seven, they have to make a miraculous comeback. How are they going to look against Vegas? Because the Islanders are going to take every bit they can out of you. Every time you get the puck, they're going to hit you. And it's going to be hard and it's not going to be fun. And, you know, for, for Tampa, they need to get back to what they do well. Braden Point is a small forward, 
but he's so good at sneaking his way into the front of the net. He needs to get to that area. On the power play, keep distributing the puck. Game one is a bit stagnant. Move the puck around. Make it confusing for the defenders. Get Simeon Varlamov moving. That's when he's at his weakest. He He's... He's a solid lateral mover when he's got multiple guys in front of him and he's going to try to keep his eyes on them. It's difficult for him, you know, difficult for any goaltender. And use your point. We mentioned Vegas with all the six points by, by a defenseman last night. You got Hedman, you got Sergachev. McDonough's not a natural goal scorer, but he can distribute the puck, get the puck to the point, get guys like Braden Point, Alex Kalorn in front of that net tips, screens, and just make life difficult in Simeon Varlamov because he's been great too. He was in the first round, he was yanked for Ilya Sorokin. Sorokin won game six against Pittsburgh. Sorokin started game one. He gets yanked from that game and Varlamov's been the starter since. He's, he looks confident. He's playing super confident. I mean, you got two contrasts. You got two Russians in that, in this series in Vasilevsky and Barlamov, then you get two Canadians in Flurry and Price for in the other conference semifinal. I think, you know, the Russians, these two will both be representing their country and, you know, vice versa for, for Flurry and Price at the Olympics in February. So, you know, interesting battle there between countrymen. But um, it's, I think for Tampa, I expect Tampa to win tonight. I think they'll get to those areas that I mentioned. But the Islanders are, are a confident group, and I think that they're not afraid of the moment. And for John Cooper, don't let them play Barry Trotz's style. Because if you do that, you could have a similar result to when you played Columbus the first time where they had your number and you had to adapt. Well, the Islanders have had time to look at you, figure you out, what did you do well to win the cup? And they can adapt to you. Tampa, you won. You know what you did. Maybe you think you don't need to change anything. You get a little bit complacent and that, you know, that could be a problem here down the line. So we'll see what happens tonight in game two with the Islanders at Tampa Bay. I expect Tampa to win tonight, but the Islanders have, you know, they're, they've been proving people wrong all playoffs. So we'll see what they bring to the table tonight following a two, one victory in game one. Um, I'll pivot to the French open final, really just French open this weekend. Uh, the women's final, you know, it was a, a three-setter that was, you know, Krejcova, congratulations to Barbara Krejcova winning her first Grand Slam title. Like I, like I mentioned last week, seeing the women's game, it's it's always about a different woman breaking through. It would have been Pavlochenkova or her winning, uh, Pavlochenkova, sorry, or Krejcova winning their, their first career Grand Slam title. And I think that's good for women's tennis, obviously having a Naomi, Naomi Osaka there or a Serena Williams would have been great. But for really a decade plus, it was Serena Williams and nobody else. She didn't have a rival. You know, people wanted it to be Maria Sharapova. It wasn't. Serena's lost two matches in her career to Maria. And I think they played over 30 times. That's not a rivalry. A rivalry has to be, you know, there has to be victories on both sides. That's not, you can try to fabricate something, but it just wasn't there. Osaka started to get Serena's number as she gets advanced age, but there isn't that rivalry right now in the women's game. Maybe it can be Osaka and Ash Barty or Osaka Halep or Bianca Andreescu and Sophia Kennan. But right now we're kind of in a holding pattern. You know, uh, Naomi's going through her mental health issues. Bianca's inconsistent with injuries. So uh, Kennan won at the Australian Open, but she hasn't really done well at any of the major. So we're in a holding pattern right now where any woman can win a Grand Slam. And that's not an exaggeration. Krejcova was a wild card. She goes on to win the tournament. So Danzig, a wild card, gets to the semifinal. Uh, Pavlchenkova gets to the end, gets to the final as a 29-year-old 20, woman after playing for over 10 years pro, after never getting to a Grand Slam final. So it's wide open right now. And Wimbledon starts two weeks yesterday. It's a quick turnaround because the French started a few weeks later because of COVID. This is, you know, it, it's going to be quick. It's a quick turn. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, Serena Williams, one of her best majors is Wimbledon, is Wimbledon. Like, like Roger Federer for the men. Can they find some of that old magic and win, you know, at 
the All England club. I have my Federer, I'd have zero confidence in. Serena Williams, I've, I'd have more. But again, I think they're both on the same route where they're in the back nine of their career. They're on whole 18 for both of them. And we'll see what happens. Like I said, it's a wide open field. If you get a good draw, maybe something can go your way. But for the men's side, Friday, it was truly one of the greatest matches I've ever watched. Just the shot making between Novak Djokovic and Rafa Nadal was out of this world. And, you know, Nadal wins the first set quite easily 6-3. But I talked about this with my mother yesterday. It really was a telltale sign for me that it was going to be interesting when it was 5-1 Nadal and he was serving for the first set. And Djokovic broke him. He broke his serve. And I said, hmm, it's interesting. And you know, Djokovic never lost another set. The second set, he got control early on. It all pushed back, had some break points opportunities, but Djokovic held his serve. That brought us to the third set where it was just pandemonium, where Nadal and Djokovic just were going back and forth. Both were getting breaks. It looked like neither of them was going to be able to win that set. It was, it was just craziness between the two guys because I didn't know what to make. I didn't know what to make of it, to be honest with you, because it was, it was just a battle of all battles. Because you had, you had uh, Djokovic serving for the set at six five, and Nadal broke him back. And I said, "Oh, this is so textbook Nadal, where Djokovic had him, but he let it slip away." But to his credit, it gets to a third set tiebreak, and then Djokovic wins it eight six in a, in a tight tight battle. He gets a fist pump to the crowd. And in that fifth set, he broke him. Nadal got broken on his first service game. And uh, Djokovic never looked back. He had control and he did not let Nadal get back into it. Um, Nadal has won 13 out of his six of the 13 um, French Open titles, 16 appearances. Incredible. But you know, now Nadal's only lost three times. Two of them have come to Novak Djokovic. And it impressive by Novak that he, first of all, he beats Nadal and it, it's always been a crutch for him because he's only won that title once. He now has won uh, every grand slam at least twice. And that's, that's only been done by two other men in the history of men's tennis. So that, that, that's incredible, incredible feat for him. Then we go. So we, we see that incredible match early on in the day, Stefano Sissipas beat Alexander Zverev. Uh, Sasha Zverev in five sets. Uh, Sissipas was up two sets to none. Zverev wins sets three and four. And then uh, Sissipas ends up pulling it out in the fifth set. So in this in this match, it was Sissipas against Djokovic. Sissipas had never been to a Grand Slam final. And he's playing against one of the all-time greats. Uh, Djokovic seeking his 19th Grand Slam title. And Sessipas wins the first set, 7-6 in a tiebreak. Uh, Djokovic served for the mat, served for the set at 6-5. Sessipas broke back and then won it in a, in a tiebreak. Second set, Sessipas broke Djokovic's first service game, and it was curtains from there for that set, 6-2. But at the end of the second set, there was just a switch in momentum. I, I felt it. I said, this is Djokovic's going to come back and win this match, which he did. Uh, it it was just Sessipas had trouble closing on his service game. Then his first service game, he had he barely held serve, so he was serving at at one one, and he saved four break point opportunities. And I said, okay, well he survived four break point up. Maybe he he can push through here. But on the fifth one, he shanked a forehand. Djokovic got a break. And Djokovic was never broken on his serve for the remainder of the match. It was from there, it was 6-3, 6-2, 6-4 with Djokovic just having control. That's the fourth set was really a clinic where Sessipas couldn't get anything going. And in the fourth set, he broke him once. Sessipas never had a look at a break point the remainder of the match. Djokovic found his groove and Sessipas just couldn't, couldn't even come close. And this was, you know, prime Djokovic and winning his 19th major. He's 34 years old. He's won the Australian and French start this year on majors. 
And who, who doesn't have him as the favorite to win Wimbledon in less than two weeks? Nobody. He, he will be the favorite to win the majors the remainder of the year. You got Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. Could he go for a year-round slam, winning, winning the Aussie, winning the French, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open? He's still got a lot of work to do. But he could finish this year with 21 Grand Slam titles, surpassing Nadal and Federer in one year, which would be incredible. You know, he was always third fiddle. And he wasn't even really third fiddle because he was always a guy that would get to semifinals and lose to Djokovic and Nadal. I saw it lose to Federer and Nadal. Now he beats he beats them routinely. And you, you see a guy like Sessipas, you see a guy like Sasha Zverev. These guys want to break through, but they can't. Dominic Team won the US Open last year, but because Djokovic was kicked out of the tournament for hitting a ball girl. Um you know, Dominic Team's not beating Novak Djokovic on on a hard court if he's there. These guys that are really good players like Team Zverev, Sissipas, Andre Rublev, they are up and comers. They are great. They can win tournaments that aren't majors, but it, it just hasn't clicked for them yet on at majors to beat Nadal or Djokovic, especially Djokovic, but still Nadal. Nadal wins. He's won the U.S. Open the past number of years. He wins at Roland Garros every, pretty much every year, 13 out of 16. And, it, you know, for Federer, he's been out of sight, out of mind because he's had injuries. He's getting up there in age. You know, he's gearing up for Wimbledon. He won his, won his match, first round match yesterday at ha- the Halle tournament, which he loves to play prior to Wimbledon. But, you know, can it, when will the younger crowd break through and who will it be? And for me, breaking through is not team breaking is not team beating Zverev at, at the U S open. It's somebody beating Nadal or Djokovic in a grand slam final, or even a semifinal. If you beat one of them to get there, that would impress me. That's what you have to do. You have to beat one of these guys to do it. Dominic team has pushed Nadal at the French open, but he couldn't beat him. Ceci boss went to five sets against Novak Djokovic Yet uh, Sunday Sunday morning, but he didn't beat him. You to to reach that mantle to be the guy that finally broke through. We heard forever. Well, it's going to be Grigor Dimitrov. It's going to be Raonic. That was five six years ago. None of them won. Raonic, a Canadian, got to a Wimbledon final. He didn't win. He lost to Federer. Andy Murray was in the, the guy that was the closest to it was Andy Murray because he was winning majors in the era of Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer. He beat Djokovic in a Grand Slam final twice. He's beaten Federer in a Grand Slam final. He beat Federer in the uh, gold medal game at the Olympics. Andy Murray's really the only guy that has done it. He's had injury problems. He doesn't play anymore. So who will it be? And, you know, Djokovic is 34, still playing at a really high level. Nadal still playing at a high level. But he's been through a lot in his career, Nadal, when it comes to injuries, the knee surgeries he's had. And just the, the style of play that he has, it takes a lot out of his body. He's had a ton of surgeries. So with Federer, you know, walking into the sunset soon, I think this could be his last Wimbledon. Wouldn't shock me if I if we hear after the tournament, this is it for me. Because Wimbledon's really his home. It's where he's made his hay. If he has a great tournament, maybe he walks away from tennis at Wimbledon. Nadal, I still think he's got a few years left in him. But is he going to be able to win consistently forever? We saw Djokovic had more stamina than Nadal on Sunday. And as, as, as his age progresses with the injuries and everything and what he's gone through, how fit is he going to be? He's not going to be more fit than Djokovic. I think Djokovic is the most fit person in men's tennis. He just never seems tired. He doesn't sweat, it hardly seems like. So... The only thing that can be Djokovic is his temper because he likes to throw his temper tantrums. He's a little hissy fits. As I like to tell my mother, because she's a big fan. But other than that, who's going to stop Djokovic? Can a young guy break through and beat him winning at, you know, winning at the Rogers cup or winning at the city open or in you know, the Miami masters, that doesn't count. That's not breaking through. You need to beat them at the majors. It's like golf. You make a name for yourself winning a tournament. Bryson DeChambeau 
people make fun of him for all his you know quirks and everything he does weird um you know with his swing and bulking up and hitting the ball far well he won the u.s open last year that validated what he did that shut a lot of people up because he said he said i want a major tournament here andre rublev sissy pass what you guys are hoping to accomplish you can do that by defeating the big names and we'll, we'll see what happens but wimbledon starts in less than two weeks um, Djokovic will be the favorite coming in. Roger Federer is gearing up for it. Nadal will be there. So all the all the big three in men's tennis, Serena Williams um, is gearing up for for the tournament as well. So you know they didn't get to play Wimbledon last year because of COVID. Uh, they didn't get to play the the, um, the British Open in golf uh, last year because of COVID as well. We're going to see both this year. Both next uh, the, Wimbledon starts June twenty eighth. I believe the, the open championship or the British open. So like to say here in North America, that starts in uh, mid July. So both tournaments are, will start around as Wilton finishes. I think the next week is the open championship. So we'll see some, some action across the pond. And uh, it's good to see Wimbledon backs, my favorite um, tennis major of the year by far. I love seeing the grass courts. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, and, great tennis along the way. So excited to see that starting June 28th and uh, that two week tournament always takes a lot of my time. So uh, that, that should be a lot of fun as we, as we move forward here. Um, UFC 263. I'll touch on this briefly because I want to, I want to get to the NBA and some other things today, but you know, a lot of stuff happening over the weekend. Um, great pay-per-view first of all, from, um, from the UFC. Uh, I thought they've had some really good ones lately. I was doing stuff Saturday night, so I couldn't watch it, but you know, I'm degenerate. So I bought the pay-per-view and then watched it Sunday afternoon. Uh, and my big takeaways were Nate Diaz hasn't fought in a while, you know, over a couple of years. And he steps in the ring with Leon Edwards, who's no joke. And he almost beat him. He, you know, Edwards is a really good fighter. He's a guy that will likely be in line for a title shot here soon he's Diaz just brings it. You know, he, you see his face after the fight, his nose is ding. He's got blood everywhere. Look like he'd gone through hell, but in that fourth and fifth round, he brought it to Edwards. He nearly knocked Edwards out and he, he, he's just authentic. And I love that about him because he's, he's not afraid to, to go. He just, he's going to fight his way. He's lost a lot of fights in his career. He's had the, the epic battles with Conor McGregor. And, you know, he's, he's been uh, great for the sport and he continues to be, I don't know how many more fights he's going to have in the UFC. He's not going to be fighting for titles anymore, but you know, the UFC could do some really interesting things with him. Do they put him back in the ring with Jorge Masvidal? I, I'd sign up for that. I, their first fight was great. You know, we also saw the, the veteran Damian Maya who lost to uh, Muhammad over the weekend. He, He's 43, came out and said, you know, I want one more fight and I want it against Nate Diaz. I respect him a ton. I wouldn't mind seeing that either. Damian Maya deserves that respect from the UFC. He's 43 years old. He's been fighting forever, putting on a really good product. I think Dana White should try to book him a fight. Maybe it's not against Nate Diaz, but try to do it anyway. But I give a ton of credit to Nate Diaz because I think the guy's a warrior. He's super entertaining to watch. He said he wants to fight later this year. Masvidal wants some pay-per-view money. Nate Diaz is a guy that can bring you pay-per-view money. So Masvidal Diaz too would, would be a lot of fun. Uh, he's also fought, Masvidal's also fought his older brother, uh, Nick. Maybe it's Nick that fights Masvidal, but Nate is just a guy, he loves to punch. He, he's a guy that just brings it every time he gets in the cage. So uh, credit to him for putting on that good a product um, after you know such a long absence. Also, we saw Brandon Moreno win the featherweight belt. He fought Davison Figueredo in their second matchup. They fought in late December, just prior to Christmas, and it was it was a great fight. Uh, it was five rounds, you know, championship, 25-minute fight that went the, the distance, and it was a majority draw. I thought Figueredo won the fight, but nevertheless, it was a majority draw, but both guys beat the living hell out of one another, and it took a lot out of them. Figueredo was hospitalized because of his weight cut and everything that took out of him in the fight. Moreno had 
I think he had a broken jaw and it, it was, it was a battle and they meet for the second time on Saturday night and Brandon Moreno submitted Davison Farigo, a Figueredo, put him in the choke and he tapped out in the third round. And it was a great moment because he becomes the first Mexican born UFC champion in the history of the sport. Um, the guy can, I can throw a punch. He's 125 pounds, but he's a tough son of a bitch. And I think Figueredo was a really good fighting champion. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see what happens from here. Um, Figueredo, I don't think they'll book the trilogy fight right away. They may want him to fight a couple times, get back in the winning circle, uh, potentially get um, Moreno, a, a different opponent. But I want to see them fight a third time because I think Figueredo, he, he talked about his weight cut, how it was really, it, it took a lot out of him. Uh, to do it again, it, it, it's tough on, on his body to do it. So maybe he won't want to fight at featherweight anymore. He may want to go up and, and move up and wait and fight uh, at middle. But he, I'd love to see them fight again because I think both guys are really, really good fighters. Um, I think Figueredo is obviously just a really crafty guy who's got power for such a small man. He's got some good power. But, you know, Moreno, I'd love to see him fight Henry Cejudo. You know, Cejudo retired a year and change ago, but he's talked up forever about how he'd love to come back. Well, Cejudo won the belt, but he never lost it. He vacated it when he retired. Does Moreno make him want to come back and, and fight at welterweight? I mean, that would be a big, he'd have to cut some weight for that for him. But I think that would be really interesting. Maybe he fights Corey Sanhagen. He's fighting TJ Dillashaw um, in, in July. So maybe that's his next fight, but um, congratulations to him. And then we saw, you know, Izzy Israel Adianza defeat Mar uh, Marvin Vittori in the, in the main event. Uh, it was, he won by decision you know, that's how he does it, but it was really a dominating performance by Adianza where he's coming off a loss to Jan Blasowicz where he was uh, fighting for uh, fighting for his belt, ultimately losing by decision, but he comes back really a dominant performance just showing people how good he is at what he does. And, you know, ultimately he called after the fight, calling out Robert Whitaker saying he wants to fight him again. He beat him for the belt the first time. You know, Whitaker is a, is a guy that is one of the best in the sport. Um, I, and again, that rematch would sell well. And I think, you know, it would get the pay-per-view buy from me. So um, no complaints there, but a really a good pay-per-view. We got some, you know, we got some decent events coming up, but on the next big, event for the UFC is on July 10th and that'll be UFC 264 where we'll see the, the third and hopefully final fight between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier that'll be in Vegas that'll be a sold out crowd um we got a good card there we got you know Gilbert Burns and Stephen Thompson we got uh, Greg Hardy fighting at heavyweight and then Sean O'Malley is the first fight of the card who's one of my favorites to watch he's just so entertaining at Bantamweight but um, that, that's, that's the next real big event. We get some UFC events prior to that with you know, Korean Zombie fighting Dan Iggy uh, this, uh, this Saturday. We got um, Alexander Volkov and Cyril Gain fighting in a couple weeks. But um, another great pay-per-view. The next one is not it, – it'll be talked about a lot, but it's not one of my favorites um, because there's no title fight, and Conor McGregor is kind of boring to me. But – it's probably an unpopular opinion, but we'll see. I'll, I'll buy it. So we'll see that on July 10th uh, for UFC 264. Um, NBA, uh, before we get to the NBA playoffs, which I'll touch on before we wrap, uh, I was going to get to baseball today, but there's a lot happening. You know, just quickly, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. came out yesterday. He's leading Major League Baseball in all-star votes. And, you know, that doesn't surprise me. The guy... He's got 22 home runs, 56 RBIs. He's got a batting average above 350 right now. And he's becoming just a clutch hitter. You know, last night in the seventh inning, they're down one nothing. He gets a base hit to start the, start the inning on the first pitch. Then in the top of the ninth, they're still down one nothing. He cranks a home run 450 feet over the green monster. The guy is becoming a clutch hitter. You know, they ultimately lose in extras, but he's having a fantastic year dropping all the weight and proving to people that he's a, an all-star. I love to see that from him. And 
it, this league's about younger stars right now. Mike Trout's out with an injury. So who do you focus on? Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr. the third. He's one of my favorite. I think he's he's my favorite player to watch in baseball. You know, Nolan Arenado, the third baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's a little bit older, but again, the guy's really good. Ronald Acuna Jr. for the Atlanta Braves. Pete Alonzo for the New York Mets. These younger guys are the face of the sport. And Mike Trout, it's hard for him to be the face of the sport because he doesn't say anything. He doesn't give you anything. Even the way he plays, it's not that fun. Shohei Otani is the guy that's an easy sell. Yeah, he's on the Los Angeles Angels who are terrible, but the guy can crank a home run nearly 500 yards. He can pitch to an ERA sub 300, sub three. The guy is entertaining. And I, I, I like that we're seeing the younger stars. And... You know, we're starting to see, you know, it balance out across baseball where the Dodgers are starting to win games again. They rallied to beat the Phillies last night. We're see- but, you know, to their credit, the San Francisco Giants continue to win games. You know, behind Alex Wood and Johnny Cueto and, and you know, Kevin Gosman, these starters that are kind of journeymen and players that are journeymen, you know, Brandon Crawford finding ways to get hits. Brandon Belt, Buster Posey, after setting out last year, having a really good season. You know, we're in mid-June and the San Francisco Giants are still first in the NL West with the Padres and Dodgers in that division. Um, you know, the Mets are first in the uh, NL East with, you know, the Nats struggling. The Braves been really inconsistent this year. Um, you know, so we'll touch on baseball more and more as, you know, as the, as the other seasons wind down, but I just wanted to touch on what, you know, the younger guys are doing for the sport. I think it's, it's really saving baseball because a lot of it can be a little bit monotonous. Um, Gerard Gallant, uh, came with he was hired by the New York Rangers to be the next head coach. And, you know, first of all, congratulations, Gerard. He was fired in Vegas. Um, and, you know, after getting that team to their first year as a franchise to a Stanley cup final, but Bill Foley and that group, they had their expectations. They wanted, Stanley Cup in the second season. They lost in the first round to San Jose Sharks. Midway through the next season, he's gone. Um, and, you know, it's hard to argue. Pete DeBoer took over. They, they get to a conference final last year. They lose to Dallas. They're back in a conference final this year. But for Gerard, this is a really good opportunity. I didn't want him to get the Columbus job because Columbus is going to be bad. You know, they got to deal with Seth Jones or Renske. Both players likely going to be gone. It's just a team that's going to be picking in the top 10 of the draft, I think, in the next three to four years. It's going to be going through a transition, a rebuild. And unless you really like the coach, he's there for that rebuild. He helps the younger kids, and then he gets fired, and they hire the coach they really want. The Rangers clearly identified Gerard as a veteran coach who players really seem to enjoy, and they said, you know what? We're going to take him because we're a team that we feel we're on the cusp of winning. And I think – the Rangers are in a really good position. You know, they got Capo Caco. They got Alexi Lafreniere. Mika Zibanejad, when he's hot, he's, he can score goals at a pace like any, like any player in the NHL. They got Shesterkin in net, who looks really solid. Georgiev. So I like their goaltending position. They got Adam Fox, who just got nominated for a Norris Trophy. He looks like a guy that's going to be a dominant presence. I think Ryan Lindgren is another defenseman, an underrated guy who's really good. Now, could they add an elite score? Yeah, because I think Zabinijad is a better and is a number two defenseman you know, in his in his prime. Lafreniere, he's a better winger than he is center. I, I don't like him playing center. I put him at left wing. I think that's his best spot in this lineup. Kako is more of a second to third line guy, but there's nothing wrong with that. He can be an effective player in that role. But for the New York Rangers, which are Glant, you're saying, okay, we can win. We can at least push for the playoffs next season. That's our goal. You know, we got Pittsburgh, who's getting a little older. They're in our division. Washington, they're getting old. They're in our division. The Islanders, you know, they're always tough, but who knows? They're not, you know, they're a playoff team. They're not a regular season team. Philly, who the hell, you know, can Carter Hart make a save next season? Well, he couldn't against us, couldn't against us last year. You're letting eight goals twice. So do you go out there and you look at, you know, a guy that everybody's got circled for this team in Jack Eichel. Can we, can we acquire him? Is he, is he going to need surgery? There's a lot of questions, but for New York, 
pushing all in, you got the trade assets. You got players on your roster that you could give to Buffalo. Lafreniere, I doubt that they trade Lafreniere, but if it was me, I would probably do it because I think Lafreniere is going to be better than he was in his rookie year. You know, Nico Keisha was better than he's better right now than he was in his rookie season. Is he going to be a superstar? No. Jack Hughes is better in his sophomore season. He, he, had, he had a really good year for a really bad team in New Jersey. But you know what Jack Eichel is. He had a tough year last year, but who didn't in Buffalo? Taylor Hall left that cesspool. He got better. Eric Stahl left that cesspool. He's in a conference final playing, you know, important minutes for the Montreal Canadiens. Prior to last season, every year that Jack Eichel played in the NHL, his points and goals went up. And there's no reason to believe that he's hit his ceiling yet. I don't think he has. And for, for him, it, it's about finding that opportunity and capitalizing on it. And for the Rangers, having an elite number one center is something that you need. We see some teams, you know, you can, you can go far without it, but can you win a cup? Can the Islanders, can the Montreal Canadiens win a cup without, without a legit number one center? You could argue that's Matt Barzell in, in Long Island, but we'll, we'll see. I think that's that's a debatable topic. Uh, in Montreal, who would that be? Philip Deneau? The guy can't score. Uh, you know, it, it an elite number one center is a guy that can that can do it on both ends and, and score goals. So maybe maybe that'll be proven wrong if either one of these teams can win a Stanley Cup this spring, uh, sorry, this summer. But for, for the for the Rangers, you have a lot of your pieces. I think if you have to part with Zabinajad, I would do it because you can replace Zabinajad. It's easier to replace a second line center than it is to replace a first line center because you don't have one. You haven't had one in, in, in a hot minute here. So again, this the surgery and how long the rehab will take to come back will play an impact for sure. Because, but if you have them for four or five years. Next year, the Rangers' aspirations should not be win a Stanley Cup. And maybe it's James Dolan and the guy's an idiot and he sees the Knicks win a play, win a one playoff game. He goes, okay, both of our franchises have to win right now. You went through a successful rebuild where you're starting to get better year over year. But next year's goal is not to win a Stanley Cup. That's that's crazy aspirations. But if you can get Jack Eichel and say, well, he's going to miss most next year, but maybe we make the playoffs without him and we make a push and we win, win a round or two. And then we add, and then the next season, that's our goal. Okay. In 2023, our goal is to win the Stanley cup. Well, that makes a whole lot of sense to me because that's what he's going to be a full year healthy. And if he misses half of next year, he's going to be hundred percent for the 2023 season. So for the, for the New York Rangers, it's a big salary. You've got years left on it, but see what you can do. I, I, I would push, push all in. You got Jared Glant. He's not a coach that's there for development. He's there to win. He was in the Stanley Cup final with Vegas. He's got players that should buy in and want to want to win for him in, in New York. So we'll see what happens, but I'm happy for Gerard for him to get a good opportunity not to take the Columbus job. You know, Brad Larson to take that job, the longtime assistant, and you know, suffer through that. Uh it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a grind there. But for these this Rangers group. They've done a successful, you know, dignified tank, so to speak, that the the least called. And we'll see if he can push this team to new heights. You know, they haven't reached the playoffs last year. They they struggled in the bubble, losing to Carolina. But we'll see what what transpires over the next year and change for for this New York Rangers franchise and what kind of moves they make to to make themselves better and put themselves in a position to be a Stanley Cup contender. Um, if you cannot hear it on the on the pod, Dirk is starting to get a little anxious. So it's probably a good time to wrap. Uh, I couldn't get to the NBA today, but you know, there's always uh, later in the week. Um, the breaking bad podcast will be tomorrow night. Um, I got to go, um, got to do a few things today. So I won't be doing, we'll be doing that tomorrow. We'll be, uh, so that breaking bad, uh, breaking down episodes eight and nine of season two will be tomorrow night. Uh, but tonight you got Bucks, uh, Bucks versus Nets game five. No Kyrie Irving, no James Harden. This is Kevin Durant's show. Can you 
Can you win this series without them? Can you be LeBron James in this moment? Show yourself to be the best player on the planet, which I think he is. Can you get through, you know, Giannis and Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday alone? You're going to need some help from Joe Harris and hopefully Blake Griffin's healthy, but it's a big test, big opportunity for uh, Kevin Durant to show what he's made of in this series. And then you got Tampa Islanders game, game two tonight from Amelie Arena in Tampa Bay where the, the Tampa Bay Lightning will hope to tie that series up at one, heading back to Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum on Thursday night. So everybody, um, sorry for the prolonged absence, but I'm back, getting healthy, getting better. Um, hope everybody's doing well out there. Um, enjoy the day, enjoy the weather, and uh, we'll talk soon.